0: jim mallard host of the mallard report on the mallard report along with my guest we will have a conversation where we will share thoughts and opinions for more information my bio past shows social media links and so much more visit mallard.com m-a-l-l-i-a-r-d.com and thanks for listening Welcome to the Mallard Report tonight. First, I want to send you over to veritiesofherald.com dot com slash mallard. to get your ten percent off, your free your free U.S. shipping, in your uh, product made in the United States. And then I must uh, directly apologize to Aaron over at Verities because I'm not wearing his shirt tonight because it had a little accident accident probably ten minutes ago. Um, I spilled my drink all over it, and as you can probably tell, I need a drink tonight because well. I'm a little under the weather, but my my guest promises me that he'll make me talk the whole show tonight, so this will be good. Until I can't talk anymore, and then he'll just talk about whatever he wants to. I'm pretty sure is what he wants to talk about. Um, my guest tonight is Brian Dunning. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> well, bet could be better, could be worse, as we were just discussing. At least you, you remind me I'm not dead, so that's always the positive way to start <laughs> a conversation with
1: somebody. <laughs> I try to open every conversation with that. Hey, you're not dead.
0: When somebody tells you you look like shit and you go, well, thanks. I feel like it. That's
1: the kind of day I've been having. So uh, I didn't look and ask, Gee, are, are you alive?
0: <laughs> you know, there's all those ghosts, you know, when, when people, you know, when you're walking around the cemetery, you should walk up to people and be like, what are you doing here? And just keep one, just keep roaming off. And, <laughs> and then if they say something else, you just keep wondering, just keep, don't talk to them. Just a little phrase and make them spooked. Um, yeah, it's all good. So, you're the host of the the Skeptoid Par- podcast. Easy for me to say. <laughs> what, what made you? Because you've been doing this for well. I don't want to put years on it. We don't want neither, neither of us need to feel old at this moment. But you've been doing this a long time. What made you? Yeah, what made just, you? What made you get into it back in the back in the day?
1: Back in the day, yeah. Let's say it's an episode a day, not an episode a week. That makes it uh, uh, sound like a lot fewer years. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing it for 12 years now. I started Skeptoid in 2006. Uh, I've been um, doing it um, every Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. ever since then. Um, and, yeah, I, I like like a lot of people who work in science communication, um, which is what the show's about, about the science behind urban legends, basically, um, I, I got my start when I was a kid reading books about ghosts and UFOs and Bigfoot and the Bermuda Triangle and all of that stuff. And completely believed everything I read and was just amazed at how can there be all these incredible things in the world and nobody else seems to care about them well of course that's because they're generally not true and the older that you get you still have these things in the back of your mind you know uh, teasing at you saying "God, what was really going on with that the Amityville horror or whatever the story was So when I, when podcasting became a thing, I said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I really enjoy doing. My background's in computer science and also writing for film and television. And it's, it just kind of was the perfect conjunction of, of, um, entertainment and science. And so doing a podcast about these things that I'd always wanted to know more about, it just was the natural expression of, of what I wanted to do. And it's been 669 episodes so far. Um, and I still have, I still have some of the basics in the folder that I just have never gotten around to covering yet. I only recently got around to the Loch Ness Monster, for example, and still haven't done the, um, uh, the Shroud of Turin, kind of all these things that are sort of on the basic list of, of skeptical topics as, as you were, Fortian phenomena, whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah, it's just a blast. I just love, um, finally diving in and actually solving these mysteries. So there's about 12
0: things I want to talk about after we talked about your show for a second. Okay. Um, (laughs) 669. That, that's an incredible number. I told you off. This is 399 for me. So next week is 400.
1: That's a great number. I mean, how many shows do most podcasts last, right? Five.
0: Yeah. And it, it, you know, I didn't realize it until 300. Like, Never crossed my mind at 100 or 200, because I don't number them. So it just you know you just keep trucking through. Uh, and, then, and then at 300, I went, that can't be right, because I seen the the number of blog or uh, WordPress posts, and I'm like, that can't be right. So I had them all manually wrote out. So I sat there and counted them, and sure enough, that was right. And I went, well, I should probably do something. To mark this <laughs> milestone. <laughs> so, and
1: did you did you have some big party or
0: something? Yeah, I had some listeners call in and just have a. The celebration of what was or what is or
1: – anyways. Um, I started doing that. I, I mean you have about w- – when you do a weekly episode, about every 50 episodes is is once a year, give or take. So I thought about episode 150, I said, hey, I'm going to start having parties, for listener parties. At the time, I lived in Southern California where if you have a listener party for a podcast, a whole bunch of people are going to show up. <laughs> and they, and they did and it was great. I did them, I didn't do them every year because they take a lot of work and they cost a lot of money but um th- since I moved to Oregon, I'm in Bend, Oregon now uh, as of the last uh, year and a half or so. Um you do a you hold a listener party for a podcast and you know four people show up to the brew pub. Uh, which you can do a lot worse than that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we're not really doing those anymore. Instead, we're celebrating the celebrating the uh, anniversary episodes with lavish Broadway musicals or some variation of musical episodes.
0: I'm going to have to go dig one up, I guess. I'm just going to comment that and leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I caught it this morning or yesterday, cold-induced coma here. I'm not quite sure. I know it's Tuesday now. I know that much. But, uh about what what the ghost hunter should have in their kit not that's been my bread and butter for the first couple years of the show so that when i when i listened to that I, I agreed that we the ghost hunter community flies by night too much but give me a give my listeners a general synopsis of that show that if they haven't well they probably haven't heard it yet they're going to do a yeah be
1: looking so <clears throat> you know the, the, the here's the basic thing is when you're a lot of these ghost hunting TV shows, and, and there aren't as many now as there used to be. You know, They used to be just uh, every other show on television. But they're still out there, and they're still doing basically the same thing. They use a lot of electronic equipment because they think that that'll make them perceived to be acting in a scientific way, as if electronic science, which, of course, it doesn't. You know, the scientific method is a method. We start with an observation, uh, we make sure that it's a real observation. It's something that's repeatable, that other people can get the same observation. And then we form a hypothesis to explain the observation. And eventually we get the theory of a ghost, which would mean that we've you know we've been able to capture a ghost or do something that we can learn what its characteristics are. We know what the properties of a ghost are. We know how to recognize a ghost. We know what they are. Then you can, you can behave in a scientific way when you know what you're looking for. You go into a haunted house, presumably because there's some evidence that we've seen some of these kinds of observations that we know to look for, and we can now search for these known properties of a ghost. Well, of course, the problem with ghost hunting is none of that has ever happened. Uh, there is no established property of what a, what a ghost might have. There's no theory of what a ghost might be. Uh, there has never even been a, a repeatable observation of a ghost. So we haven't even done, we haven't even taken the very first steps. There's absolutely nothing that is scientific about ghost hunting. It's basically wishful thinking. And the purpose of taking these electronic gadgets onto a TV show is not to explain an observation, but to create an observation. Hey, look, the lights are blinking. That's the only thing that happens on the show, some lights are blinking on a little thing. That's the ghost observation. Well, yeah, you just created it. it, So it's actually doing science backwards. So that was the point of this uh, most recent episode. Um, I did an episode probably about 10 years ago on... um, kind of debunking the tools that they commonly use on the TV shows one by one, why they're not useful for the things that they're being used for that we see. And then this episode was kind of a little bit of an update to that, but also more of, well, okay, what were we what would we do if we were trying to actually follow the scientific method and go into a haunted house?
0: Because I I totally agree that Ghost hunters take these weird cold spots and some some of the things that you were mentioning way too seriously. I mean, being a ghost hunter, I can I'll firmly agree with some of that stuff. So
1: yeah, I, I mean, so there's a there's a cold spot, and you say, oh, that's associated with a ghost somehow. Why would you think that? What data has there ever been that would tell us that that's a property that a ghost has? Uh, I, if you've got something, I'd love to hear it, but. Um,
0: I'm not that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the other thing that you, you mentioned FLIR cameras. And I, I will lose my mind every time I see somebody using one. Mm-hmm. I'm like it measures surface temperature. It's not a three dimensional model
1: of temperature in the room. It'd be really right, cool right, to right. see, by the way. Yeah. I, it's probably coming. It, <laughs> Somebody's probably going to do it. Since, since moving to Oregon, I've found, uh, lots of use for my little FLIR camera going around outside, looking for where the heat's leaking out of the house. Uh, there was a a police drone chasing uh, some guy on foot through our. Na- I live in a fairly rural area here, so I was out there with the fleer looking for the guy to see if he's going to come running across <laughs> the property. <laughs> uh, finding uh finding uh we got a uh, uh, mountain lions here, uh deer, coyote, all these things at night. It's pretty fun to see. So I've that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just like no to no brag it's good that's thought.
0: that's kind of the show always goes off the rails at some point.
1: Okay. For, well, prefer we, we,
0: not this early, though. But. We did it early. Yeah. <laughs> now, we'll, like I'm saying, we'll get into a topic and then we'll just be into it. Um Next thing I wanted to mention you you have I lost count. I have only have ten fingers and I don't count well. You have a bunch of books that you've written for the years. A, how do you? I guess I'm a bad writer. I guess is my my point here. I'm trying to make. <laughs> do you? Is there a method to your madness? Do you sit down and write every day, or no?
1: every day because I'm writing on the podcast. Now, now, most of the books that you've mentioned are repurposed podcast transcripts. Um, I mean, so I've got 80% of the work is already done. You just drop the podcast transcript in and then then reorganize it into chapters and fix all the sentences and everything. Give me hope here.
0: Hold on. Slow down. I'm trying to take
2: notes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the advantage. My podcast is is it, It's written in advance. It's written and it's, you know, basically a, a, a spoken word uh, program. So that makes it easy to have transcripts. It makes the website fantastic for Google bait because, you know, of the 669 episodes, that's 669 pages of deeply original content that's very specific to a single topic. So... Google loves my website. That was a that was an unintended benefit. I, that was something that uh, didn't occur to me was going to be a huge benefit of the way I do the show. Back when I first got started, but that's something that I would recommend to any starting podcaster to write your show in advance and have a whole page of the exact kind of content that Google wants to find because that's been tremendously helpful since day one. So that's most of the books that I've done are are, are the result of that of repurposing podcast episodes. Uh, into various collections uh, my m- most recent book though was um, uh, Simon and Schuster was the publisher they wanted a book on conspiracy theories and they actually called me out of the blue uh, which other friends of mine who are professional authors said no fair <laughs> 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 that doesn't happen so yeah I got a, a very nice Simon and Schu- Schuster book deal with um, without having to go through uh, you know uh, rejection letters and proposals and all of this stuff so that was uh, th- and that of course that book was um all com- completely original content and so you know that was just a case of well gee I can't quit my job um I cuz I still have to put out the weekly show so I'm just going to have to find a couple of extra hours every day and uh, and work on this you know you schedule it out you got to have you got to treat it like a job you can't treat it like a hobby you got to got to have your milestones in your goals and you got to hit them and you got to get you know that's the way the book actually gets done so um it got done it took about six months but uh, it was brutal but uh, it got out and it's a great book i really i'm really proud of it it's called conspiracies declassified uh, and it's a uh, 50 popular conspiracy theories kind of throughout history they were doing a series on 50 of this 50 of that and and this mine was the conspiracy theory book so conspiracies declassified. Check it out. It's a lot of fun.
0: Fifty. I'm I'm racking. I'm I'm sure they're. I am i am
1: racking i am i am sure they i i am sure I know all fifty of them. Of course. Oh well, you, well. Here's the thing: is what when I, one of my very first phone calls with them, they asked me, "Can you come up with with fifty conspiracy theories?" So I said, "Well, let's see." And I went to uh, my database of the of the podcast episodes, and I just did a a search for everything in the conspiracy theory category and there was over 200 i'd already done 200 shows on conspiracy theories so <laughs> it became a it became a a project of whittling it down not trying to find 50 and then they had a few that they wanted to add that uh, that i hadn't done shows on um like a uh, uh, tupac who killed tupac shakur and uh, it's like that's not really a conspiracy theory is it but they thought it was. So I found a way to make it into a conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, okay, now that you have this vast knowledge of conspiracies, let's kind of dive, dive, dive down that hole for a second. Which sure. one? Which one do you just, every time somebody brings it up, you just cringe and don't want to talk about
2: them?
1: Well, any of them. I mean, you know, People, people always ask, you know, what's the craziest conspiracy theory? What, what are the conspiracy theories that were proven true? Uh, you know, all these, all these great questions that, uh, that, um, that, that people have. But, I mean, when we talk about a conspiracy theory, what we're referring to is a false conspiracy theory, right? You know, we're not talking about Watergate. We're talking about the flat earth. We're talking about something that's a false conspiracy theory. And that's what the book's about. And that's what people are usually talking about when they use the term. So really, all of them are known to be false, they're all trivially disproven, and they all have these followings of huge numbers of people who are absolutely religious about insisting that their alternate history is true. And that's friggin' fascinating. That's so fascinating that there is people who have that level of cognitive dissonance that they can go through their day and be normal, intelligent, functional people in their daily life, but they have a belief that is provably false, known to 99% of the population to be ridiculously false, and they cannot let go. Their minds are absolutely closed to any other explanation besides their preferred one. And to me, that's fascinating. That's, that's the story of every conspiracy theory is the, the sociology behind it, the, the, the psychological phenomena behind it. Um, you know, but i happy to talk about individual conspiracy theories, but none of them have a story as good as that one. Just the fact that people can manage to integrate these into their lives.
0: Well, I think you mentioned the one that irritates me the most. subconsciously you might have mentioned it on purpose or not. I I still don't
1: understand where this flat earth thing came from. Oh, the the flat earth one, that is one of the best ones because it has such a rich history. Um, And and you'll often hear people say, oh, you know, Columbus ancient ancient cultures, nobody ever actually believed that the world was flat. Uh, and, And that's true. It is true that if we we go all the way back to history, there was never a society in which the educated class of people believed the earth was flat. It's always been known to be round. That's not what's interesting. What's interesting is it has sort of this this two-stage history. The original flat earthers came out of um, Christians who were trying to prove the literal truth of the Bible. Apparently they uh, interpret a number of Bible passages as meaning that the world must be flat. And so they have in many cases, devoted their lives to proving that the earth is flat uh, uh, in order to prove the literal truth of the Bible. And that that was the case with what we all heard of when we were kids, that there's a flat earth society. Right? You remember that? Yeah. And it doesn't really exist anymore. That's because it was an elderly couple who ran it. It was basically a mimeographed newsletter that they mailed out and, you know, sometimes that mailing list was no more than a couple of dozen people. And when they finally died, um, the Flat Earth <laughs> Society died with them. And as the, and as the
0: joke goes, they had members around the globe?
1: Yeah, they, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Sorry. But, but during
1: up? those days, before they died, that was when the space program was starting. And, uh, the, the Mercury program and the Gemini program start sending back photographs where you can see the curvature of the Earth. And that was, that was, you know, throwing gasoline on the fire. They really had to attack that. And sort of the story forks off here. That actually became the original genesis of what turned into the moon landing hoax. The belief that we didn't actually go to the moon actually started with the Flat Earth Society and things that they were trying to find that the space program was lying about. So there's that interesting fork. The other interesting fork is, though, the Flat Earth, the whole Flat Earth idea was dead for decades until. Uh, oh gosh, we actually found case zero. It was a YouTube video that this guy made. Uh, and he, he made a a PDF. He called it a book that he published, but it was a downloadable PDF. Um, and basically this conspiracy theory video that the earth was flat and it got a huge number of views and it grew and Videos referenced him as their original source, and they just started referencing each other. And as we know now, it's just an enormous echo chamber of these uh, flat Earth people, and astonishingly, it's had uh, continues to have a a growing influence, and continues to attract believers. It's it's a fascinating tool to use. Google Trends. Listeners, if you're not familiar with Google Trends, check it out. Just, I think it's just trends.google.com. Put in a search term and you can see its popularity over history. And you can actually find that original case zero when the flat earth became a thing again. And then when um, there was an early spike. Do you remember Neil deGrasse Tyson? I guess he had a, a, a nephew who was a rapper, had kind of a rap battle with some prominent flat earth guy. That created a huge spike in in the flat Earth search terms, and um, we can see that in the history of of flat Earth belief, and uh, it, it actually uh, ended up um, promoting promoting the belief, uh, drawing more attention to it, making more people aware of it. So, yeah, that that's the cool thing about the flat Earth uh, belief is. You know, obviously not the belief itself, because it's relatively silly, but it is fascinating how it came to be, why it came to be, how and why it grew, what it was originally about. It's got a very rich history, and it's, you know, kind of the, one of these histories that's the history of humanity, the, the human experience, so to say.
0: So speaking of rap battles, follow me for a minute. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, and, I'm not going to be good at that if that's what you're. No, to no, no.
0: You're going to be. I'm going to get. I'm going to move us a, a different way. But religion versus science. Now, I, I, vaccines is where I'm headed.
1: Okay, that, that that's not where I thought you were headed. I know. That, see, I, I, I said
0: follow me for a second. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> develop the idea fast enough in my head how to get from religion versus science in the vaccine. So, but why? There's, you know, these. I guess the vaccines cause autism thing is another wild rumor out there that's propagated across the internet too, right? So, is the internet bad or good for us? I guess. So I get asked
1: this question a lot, Um, and I'll go. I'll I'll think back to this one time I was uh, I was on a panel at a conference, Um, the the amazing meeting Australia. I think it was 2012. uh, I was on a panel, when, and the other people on the panel, I was sitting right next to James Randi, you know, the, the famous debunker of things. And our panel was asked this question, is the internet making our job easier or harder? And most of the panelists thought that we were now going to win the war because we can we can use the internet to spread good information. And um, I, I argued the opposite. Uh, not the opposite. Um, the opposite would be that uh, we're going to continue losing and that the pseudoscientists are going to win. I think that it's a rising tide that raises all boats evenly. So as, as easier as it is for the pro-science side to put out good information, it becomes equally easy for the anti-science side to put out bad information. Um, it can be argued that um, the anti-science side is always going to have more money behind them. You know, looking at uh, the perfect example is Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop selling products that are all fraudulent snake oil products and making literally billions of dollars. Um, The pro-science side doesn't have anything like that. We're not trying to rip people off and sell easy solutions, magical solutions to to complicated problems. So I think we're always going to be at a financial disadvantage, but, you know, fortunately the Internet is something of a, level a leveler and um gives us gives us all an an even footing you know the the whole level playing field thing uh we can without any money behind us um have a big impact podcasting like i'm doing is a significant part of that you know skeptoid media we're a non-profit we're we're donate donation supported we've got three employees it's a fairly small concern but we're producing this podcast for 12 years now. We produce a documentary film each year. Uh, we're in post-production right now in our first theatrical documentary. It is possible to have an impact um, without a lot of money behind you. And, um, and that's what we're seeing. So, no, I don't believe that the Internet, the advent of the Internet, makes things better or worse for either side.
0: So I'm going to give you the opportunity – you you kind of just did it there, but I want to clean it up and get it all taken care of before I forget. Give me the hard promo. Tell me about where people can find the podcast and the books and all that fun stuff. So we get it all, clean it out once, once and for all before we move off. And
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Skeptoid Podcast is at skeptoid.com, S K E P T O I D. I always say ID like that because people always misspell it, T-I-O-D. No, that's not how you spell Toid. Anyway, Skeptoid.com. There's links to um, all of the books and everything in the online store, but mostly that's where you subscribe to the podcast and and get all the information. Um, Our most recent film, Principles of Curiosity, is at PrinciplesOfCuriosity.com, and that's a free 40-minute introduction to critical thinking that – I'm super proud of, and we had a great time producing it. I think it was produced in 2017. Um, so yeah. Keeps you busy. It sounds like. Oh, it does. It does. (laughs) I mean, that's it. I, when I first started doing the show, it was as a hobby. I was doing it on the side, you know, with I was working as a software consultant, which I absolutely hated every second of. Um, and, um, then when the show, it was lucky for me because I got into it early enough that it was kind of easier to be a big fish in a small pond much more quickly than it would be today. So I had kind of an early advantage. It, it was, I was fortunate the show had traction. People were sending me ideas. It was really growing. I got onto the front page of iTunes one day, and then it just exploded. And it kind of became clear that I was going to need to devote more of my time than I had available if I wanted to keep this going so I started accepting donations I think in 2008 and incorporated it then in 2010 is when it became my full-time job and in 2012 is when it converted to a non nonprofit so that's so, the the history of skeptoid media
0: so I want to this is this came to me today from another show host friend of mine who said Should I just focus on my podcast or should I focus on my writing? Because he finds himself very conflicted between the two because, well, as you know, putting the show together, putting the writing together, there's only so many hours in a day, especially when we're still in this stage of trying to figure out which one's going to be successful and which one's, well, not as Mm -hmm. successful. Do you have any advice, any thoughts about that?
1: Uh, Taking that question as a standalone question, do I focus on my podcast or on my writing? um assuming that this person is not already making a living from one or the other uh, if you are that's the one to focus on <laughs> but if not um i got a great answer from uh, from my friend joe nickel um on on this uh podcasts come and go they're they're gone the next day um and books are around forever so books are definitely going to have more permanence than a podcast. And yeah, you can say, yeah, the audio is always going to be out there. But unless someone's paying to keep it hosted, it's gone when you die or when you move on to another job or something. So, uh, books are what uh, stick around forever. Focus on the writing.
0: Uh-huh. Good. Yeah, I, I, I have, I've had that quandrum because, well, everything on my website is digital. There's nothing, there's nothing tangible. Like picking up a book and saying, wow, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, you think know? what happens if you get hit from a hit by a bus tomorrow. Everything's gonna go away and, and um you know you're not there to um pay the bill for your web hosting or whatever it is, and the website's just gonna disappear.
0: Well, eventually. I have paid the bill. Yeah, little not overnight, <laughs> but eventually. But um, so hopefully everybody comes over and downloads the shows now. Yeah. <laughs> <You> never know. <laughs>
1: Keep some archive, archive. like, like <laughs> they've go. got for the seeds in uh, where is it uh, Denmark?
0: Yeah, I think yeah. Or maybe we should send them to, up in space and just have them up there floating around.
1: That'd be cool. I'd be all about that.
0: There's something there. We got to get back to that. Somebody remind me we're we're sending a rocket to space with a bunch of podcasts on CD. We we're
1: could sa- send a module up to connect it to the space station, and it can have just uh, huge amounts of storage on board archive everyone's podcasts
0: not doing anything else up there are they? <laughs> oh boy that was bad told you this show was gonna go one way or the other okay <laughs> now <And>, uh, <laughs> uh, we're good um, what's the you told me you still have some of the the nuggets from when you started made, made your original list but what's the one that no matter what you're you're studying for what it always comes up and you pay attention to it. What's your
1: singular topic that you really drill in on? You're talking about conspiracy theories? No, in general. Oh, in general. Um, you know, I think one of the, my usual answer to that question is, um, what I, what I call food, woo. Um, Um, these persistent beliefs that we have that there's, superfoods and miracle foods and foods that you have to avoid foods that you have to include. Uh, and you know, essentially none of that is true. There's essentially no truth in any of that, but it's something that is so friggin' persistent. Um, it's something we all have friends who have, if we don't do it ourselves, we all have friends who go on cleansing diet regimes (laughs) Or Just get the stomach they,
0: fluid. It's a lot easier.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or they buy organic food or they look for the non-GMO product f- uh, food label. Um, all of these things that are completely unscientific. And I, to me, that's, a, that's a, the best example because it's something that's so popular. It's so pervasive. And it demonstrates the overall pattern of thinking, the weakness in all of our thinking. We hear something, it confirms our preference, our preferred belief, and so we go with it. You know, here's a superfood, eat this and you'll be magically healthier than healthy. You know, <laughs> you'll have fewer diseases than baseline health. I, the, the, the claims are nonsensical, the, the, the facts, the data prove that they're nonsensical, and yet virtually everyone believes some version of some food woo. So I think those are a super, super important topic for people to open their minds and be willing to listen to the science on these things. Oh, you know, it, uh, there is no reason at all to buy, spend more money for organic food. Or, oh, I, here, here's the thing I was just writing today. Um, one of the episodes that I was working on today, I revisited um, the topic of, of um, golden rice. Golden rice is a... a genetically engineered version of rice that produces its own vitamin A so it's got, that's why it's gold it's bright yellow rice, it's got all this vitamin A in it every year 650,000 children in the third world die from vitamin A um, shortages and a further 500,000 go blind from it Those those are staggering numbers and golden rice was developed 20 years ago and for 20 years, 650,000 children a year have died. That's the, that's the equivalent of two holocausts. What is the reason for that? The reason has been anti-GMO food activism. Uh, Greenpeace was the leader in um, lobbying uh, these uh, developing nations to not accept golden rice, uh, to consider it to be somehow poisonous or dangerous. Uh, and as a result of that activism, two holocausts worth of children have died, needlessly. It was preventable. Uh, golden rice is only just now getting pushed out into the world. That's the kind of thing that people should learn. And you can learn, oh, I shouldn't pay extra to buy the potato chips that say non-GMO project on them, because that's completely nonsensical and anti-scientific, and it's a pattern of thinking that leads to millions of children dying. That's not an exaggeration. That's not, (laughs) I'm not being hyperbolic with that. That is an absolutely true fact. The same pattern of thinking that drives people to buy organic food kills children in developing nations because we think that there's something wrong with science or technology or the evil food scientists are creating poisons so you ask me what's my big go-to issue, and it's that one, because it's it's the one that results in the most literal deaths of children. You can't get much more evil than that.
0: So this next point sounds totally ridiculous after hearing that, but that's horrible to hear. But I'm going to make my point anyways. Because I seen it the other day on Facebook, you know, the notorious spread crap everywhere site, that pizza, <laughs> pizza is healthier for breakfast than cereal. And I went... Well, boy, that because I, when I seen that, I'm like, yeah, pizza, I, yeah, pizza, yeah, I'm all behind that.
1: Yeah, I'm. Uh, me too. <laughs> I'll go with that I, one. I, I, yeah, sure. It supports just... my it supports my preferred belief, so yeah. I, I accept it.
0: Yeah, that's just what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't even need to click that story. I'm not going to anyways. So I can see what website it's from, but uh...
1: <laughs> you know the the basic the, the basic food fact is that humans are omnivores. We can live quite well on virtually any kind of diet. Uh, if you look at um, diets of the Inuit, they live almost exclusively on fat, uh, and I'm speaking the historical Inuit, not the modern ones that live in trailer parks. Um, and the the Ma- Maasai in in um, Africa live almost exclusively on a super high cholesterol diet of blood and milk. People can live quite well on any kind of diet, and every food, whether it's you know, an organic head of lettuce or a, a Mars bar can be part of a healthy diet and it can be part of an unhealthy diet. If you eat too much, too many calories, uh, too much saturated fat, you're going to get obese and you're going to have clogged arteries and you're going to have serious health problems. But if you don't, if you eat anything like a normal diet, any kind of a normal varied diet, it doesn't matter if it's vegan, vegetarian or, or, or neither, uh, you're going to be just fine you don't have to worry too much about it. Just don't overeat. Eat a reasonably normal diet, anything close to it, and you're going to be fine. And people are unwilling to accept that, which just fascinates me. The evidence is everywhere that people all around the world, all throughout history, have lived just fine on a staggering variety of different diets. And people won't accept it.
0: I personally, uh, this is my opinion, there's no facts to back this up. But we're sticking wheat and gluten into way too many things.
2: My What's daughter, wrong with gluten? Well, but it there's
0: nothing wrong with it in bread and stuff that contains wheat. But It's, it's you know, an important protein. But in other stuff, well, my daughter, I guess, is now gluten-free because she's intolerant to it, so it just wrecks trying to buy stuff at times. Mm-hmm. So, that's...
1: Maybe that's my, part of
0: my bias against it.
1: Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's true. There are i mean, I mean the number one the number one um, uh, symptom of uh, celiac disease is malnutrition. So when you've got someone who is incredibly skinny, they absolutely cannot put on weight, they are a reasonably good candidate. They may have celiac disease. but we also see obese people thinking that they've got celiac disease, which is clearly nutritionally nonsensical, biochemically nonsensical. If you're if you're obese, you pretty much cannot have celiac disease. And based on based on really little more than kind of flavor of the week fear-mongering, gluten is now, you know, public enemy number one and has been for quite a few years. And I'm I'm surprised it hasn't died down yet. But um, you'll still see gluten-free labels on food products in the market that means the marketers have they've they've gotten onto that fad they know that fear driven marketing works so they put gluten free on just about every food and now people run around going oh I have to avoid gluten I have to avoid gluten um, you know gluten has a wonderful history gluten is what allowed armies to march and created most of earth's history you know <laughs> it's if you're a, a vegetarian uh, you probably live on gluten. It probably is your, your, one of your main sources of protein. Um, it's a perfectly serviceable, perfectly fine protein that does happen to be um, uh, harmful to a very small number of people who actually have celiac disease. And um, even, even that is quite manageable. You can take uh, anti-allergy drugs, and most people with celiac disease can eat um, gluten-containing products just fine. It's something that's just dramatically overblown by this whole pop culture clinging to food woo.
0: That's that's the case with everything we do now, though, isn't it? Pretty much. Conspiracies, food stuff. I mean, it all comes back to... uh, Except my show and your show, probably don't get blown up nearly enough. I guess it's not everything. I guess I should put most everything
1: in there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I fall victim to that all the time.
0: It just seems like everything it's like this uh, the 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 curve just goes straight up like it's either really going or it's not going anywhere there's nothing that gradually just filters out anymore because of i guess of the internet how everybody just keeps sharing stuff
1: yeah but you know yesterday's internet was newspapers and you know before that it was town criers i i really don't think that um um the internet changes things. Um, it changes the speed at which we get news, but that's really not the same thing that we're talking about.
0: Well, you mentioned newspapers and town criers. Is there anything past the internet?
1: Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing you random stuff uh,
1: random You know, stuff I'm there. sure there is, but it's going to be fascinating oh, on, when we pr- all find out what that is.
0: Predict the future, go on the record here. We'll play it back in 20 years and we, you'll sound brilliant.
1: People have been talking about implantable stuff all the time. I don't. I think there's always going to be too many people who don't want that. Uh, you know, especially if your smartphone can get infected by a virus. <laughs> who wants your brain implant to have the same thing?
0: <laughs> there, I there's that, but there's the, also the fact that if I didn't have to carry a wallet, and nobody could steal my hand. Well, mm. I, guess, I guess somebody could steal my hand, but I would <laughs> know it was missing. <laughs> Probably would. I would hope so, yeah. There's, th- there's those pros and cons, all that stuff. But I think, that's, I think it's going to become... I, I, there's comp- a company in Switzerland already that's implanting in- their employees so they can get access to places? That sounds oh, yeah, weird.
1: with uh, some sort of little RFID or something? Yeah. Yeah. Would yeah, you- and there's guys that have done that. You know, the whole body hacking thing is... I haven't really seen that it's caught on too much, but people are always doing it... Uh, I I was following a blog for a while, some guy who implanted a little tiny magnet in one of his fingers and it let him do certain things. You know, that's kind of cool. I'm sure there's going to be some, I'm sure there's going to be some, uh, some practical applications. Where it gets interesting is, you know, obviously there's going to be applications for people who have some, some deficiency, you know, a pacemaker that's body hacking you know, and something that's implantable to give you vision or hearing or something like that for people who lack them. But then what about when we cross over from the point where we're not trying to um, fix a deficiency, we're trying to create superpowers where currently someone is not, not hampered by some, some disease. That's, um that's the interesting part.
0: This question comes from my chat room because they're great and, dealing with making fun of me, um, because I'm obviously not sounding the best and that's okay. They're, they're allowed. <laughs> I wave hello to them and keep up the good work. Uh, what do you think the predictions of the merger between artificial intelligence and humanity? How is that going to, I mean, it's already starting, I guess, but how far does like that the, go?
1: you talk about the singularity of that, yeah. that whole kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, um, I think it's overblown. Um, I I did an episode um quite some time ago about um the gray goo and the gray goo was something that was theorized by people who were thinking about um nanomachines like you know little nanites we create little these little armies of submicroscopic robots to do things whether it's manufacturing or you know maybe some kind of a weapon of war they would just dis- dissolve tanks or something like that um and It was theorized that we would create gray goo that would be unstoppable um, and that would just literally turn the whole planet into gray goo. It would break down every manufactured thing, every structured thing from a rock to a tree and just break it down into this molecular soup. That's just something that, that if something like that ever started, there would be no way to stop it. And the fact is that people just, people just tend not to build things like that. You know, ever since the nuclear age began, we've been saying, hey, someone can just build a bunch of nuclear bombs and destroy the world. Well, absolutely true. They could have, but they haven't. And why haven't they? And that's an interesting question. When I was doing the episode, we looked at two basic designs for nanomachines, uh, and they were, um, Von Neumann machines and Merkle machines. And Von Neumann machines are ones that carry their instructions on board. So that's something that can conceivably be um, autonomous. We would just have to find a way to keep it energized. It would still need some kind of a power source. Maybe it gets that from what it eats. Maybe it's something that we have to beam to it. Who knows? But it can... Conceivably, be autonomous. And a von Neumann machine would then be the genesis of the whole gray goo thing. Well, the other kind of machine um, is a Merkel machine um, named after Ralph Merkel. Um, and coincidentally, while I was researching this episode, Ralph Merkel was a, uh, a fellow at the Singularity Institute in the Bay Area. And a friend of mine who worked there, I called him up and said, Hey, by any chance, do you know this guy, Ralph Merkel? And he instantly texts me back a photo of him sitting next to Ralph Merkel. <laughs> he happened to be helping Ralph set up his laptop or something. Anyway, a Merkel machine is different in that it has no instructions on board of its own. You have to beam it instructions, so you have to keep it going. And if you ever stop doing that, the Merkel machines come to a complete stop. They're incapable of doing anything further. That's sort of the same issue with an energy source for even the von Neumann machines. They can't simply keep going. They can't simply eat anything and everything. We can theorize that they might be able to do that. We can say so from a science fiction-y type perspective. But there's a lot of, you know, kind of hard sciences and physics behind why that's really not, really is not the way that it would work. Um Gosh, I'd love to go into that for hours and hours because it's a fascinating topic. But I think we have the same situation with this whole thing that computers and machines are suddenly going to become more intelligent than humans and we're going to have the Skynet situation. It just really doesn't work that way. Such things are not useful for us to build and so we don't build them. Um, Things that are potentially harmful we regulate way before they can ever get around to happening. And I just throughout history nobody has ever built anything that we can't stop um, and I think that's a trend that's going to continue I don't think it's right to say oh but that's because we haven't made this next invention that's around the corner I just think that that's kind of the nature of things the nature of the way technology humans and the universe works we're getting getting really philosophical in that subject I I try to stay away from the philosophical angle and just stick with the science you know what do we know and how do we know it but uh, but it is a fascinating subject it's a great question
0: I think that's the the angle you have to go at with sometimes those that philosophical stuff because
1: yeah it's a philosophical question it's yeah. not a science question. I did an episode about um, you remember a couple of years ago Elon Musk and everyone else was saying oh we all live inside a simulation right. And they come up with these theoretical models that saying, let's say it ever becomes possible ever in the future that we can model the world, you know, computationally. Um, And if that's the case, then inside that modeled world, it'll be possible to model worlds and so on and so on and so on. And there's kind of an infinite iterations of modeled worlds, these simulated worlds And what are the chances that we live in the one original world compared to all those countless trillions of simulated worlds? The probability is essentially zero, that we're not in a simulation, right? That's not science. That's that's staying up late and smoking fat ones. That's pure (laughs) philosophy. If it was science, we would have something like an observation that indicates that we're in a simulation. We've never had any observation like that. We don't see anything that we can sample and say, hey, we might be in a a simulation. Um, And in that episode, I basically went through a variety of things just like that that say that this is not a science question. I wasn't saying we're not in a simulation or we are in a simulation. I was saying it's not a science question. And I think that 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 much anyway is very clear.
0: And that's that's kind of mind blowing to think about all the potential, potential. layers that we could. Be, it, yeah, it does not make sense either, but nevertheless, I'm not my mind thinking that way. Um Will the advancement in robotics doom us as humans? Because if we create robots to do everything, and yes, and you mentioned we have to power them and stuff, but I mean, that's more of a one-person job versus thousands of jobs. Is that talking about
1: like the the whole Wally scenario where we all just get fat and become on a cruise ship and (laughs) sit there and
0: (laughs) I guess for the lack of a better explanation. Yes. (laughs) Hey, nothing wrong with cruise ships, by the way. Go
1: ahead. Well, you know, if you look at, look at the way, look at the way humanity has changed in the last hundred years. Yeah. We were all factory workers and now very few of us are And a hundred years before that we were all farmers and now very few of us are, uh, There's been a gradual shift toward um, thinking-related activity and away from labor-related activity. And really, development of robots is just a continuation of that same trend that we've always been on. So I think that the nature of the pursuits that many of us choose to follow is likely to continue evolving, but we're never going to see a day when there's somebody who doesn't want to do woodworking we're, we're never going to see a day when there's someone who doesn't want to be a painter. There's always going to be these activities. Robots are not going to take anything away from us. They're just going to give us more options.
0: Okay, Mr. Science Guy. I'm going to hit you with the hardest question ever. Okay. Okay, maybe not. I right, Because I'm thinking about, I've been thinking about the Jetsons and how futuristic everything was supposed to be and we're supposed to be hovering around in our cars. And then I'm in Western Pennsylvania, so I see the self-driving uh, Ubers and Googles in Pittsburgh all the time. So, am I supposed to understand that we're going to work on drive- driverless cars first before we start flying them around?
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, well, you know, there's, there's 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 so much there's so much to that question. <laughs> um, you know, I I am strongly in favor of data-driven policy. Um, that's one of my pet peeves is. The value of data-driven policy and how it always succumbs to emotion-driven policy. Right now, the data is incredibly lopsided that automatically driving cars, self-driving cars, are far, far safer than human-driven cars. That, that data is 99 and 1. I mean, it's so lopsided, you can't even believe it. There is no question that Self-driving cars like Tesla's Autopilot, before they had to cripple it because of the lawsuits, was way way safer than humans driving cars around, and people won't accept that. My wife would never set foot in a self-driving car, uh, and, and and she represents a lot of a lot of people's perspectives, or people just say. Do you remember a couple of years ago, the homeless woman jumped out in front of an Uber and, and, and was killed uh, tragically. Everyone said, Oh my gosh, these self-driving cars are far too dangerous to have on the roads. Really? You look at the millions, literally millions of miles that they go between accidents, uh, between fatalities compared to the hundred thousand miles that human driven cars go between fatalities. It's just not even close. We're going to see the same thing with flying cars. Um, you know, we, we have highways to organize driving. Um, nobody goes four-wheeling across your <laughs> neighbor's yard to go to the supermarket. We generally tend to follow what we're supposed to do. We're going to have to set the same highways in the sky, and highways in the sky, like highways on the road, are going to be easier and more safely navigated by, uh, by computers. I expect that that's what's going to happen. I expect self-driving cars are going to become more and more... Um, predominant, and I expect that flying cars, although we're still a ways away from the engineering solutions on that, um, that when those appear, uh, I think they're going to be just great, they're going to be much safer, uh, and they're going to be self-flying.
0: Well, but you t- you, I totally agree. And you think about f- the, the cell phone development in the last 15 years, about how we've got literally everything we ever wanted on one, instead of just being able to make a call. I mean, the t- everything's rapidly increasing because of programming and because of more understanding about these things. So I'm excited about it. I And I agree. I would totally... Would you hop in a, a driverless car?
1: I would. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I would be... I, I'm not going to lie and say I wouldn't be scared or nervous or anxious about it, because it's something I've never done before. And, you know, I'm still a human being and I still have a human being's emotions and everything. But uh, intellectually... It's something that I would absolutely do, and I would force myself to get beyond the native anxieties.
0: Well, you'd probably be more likely to get behind the wheel of no driver car than a 16 year old who hasn't drove too much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh! Yes, given the choices, I went through huh? that with both of my kids. I was terrible. Excuse I was screaming me? in fear the whole time, completely needlessly, but <laughs> I was terrible at it.
0: So we want to get. Yeah, about four minutes left. So I I like to wrap these interviews up with a little more uh, lighthearted kind of random questions just so we don't get stuck in the middle of something. I have to cut you off cold. All right. Um, What's your favorite book?
1: Uh, Huck Finn.
0: A Dream Trip to Somewhere You Haven't Been. Iceland. You know, you're not the first person to say that. And I've been looking at pictures and it's just gorgeous. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, you never. You know, as as a kid, you think you know France. You know, there's all these magical places that other people have told you. But
1: yeah, now the people in Iceland, they're going to start putting up a wall of their own when they hear us all say it.
0: They probably yeah. will, or close the airport. One of the two. <laughs> yep. Uh, one wow. historical event you can witness, but obviously I can't have you impacting history. So,
1: oh, uh. What a wonderful question. Boy, I wish I had time to sit and think about that. Um, I would say um, the uh, asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. Just to see it? Yeah, assuming I'm in a little safe little compartment of some kind.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm assuming since you can't stop the, I think we'll bring you back, but who knows. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) um, One famous person, dead or alive, that you'd like to meet?
1: Benjamin Franklin.
0: The $100 bill.
1: Well, that's not why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always wanted to meet Benjamin Franklin since the time I was a kid. In fact, one of one of my fantasies has been to to like take him around and show him modern stuff and hear what he has to say about it. I, I would love that. That would be quite would the be fascinating.
0: To show him, like I said my phone. Probably, yeah, show
1: him your iPhone. Oh my God. Yeah, he'd just lose it. I'm sure. <laughs> you got to ramp him up. You got to start him with a TV, you know, and then you know, a pocket calculator.
0: But That's my phone. My phone's a pocket calculator too. It is. So, oh boy.
1: <laughs> Start him with a day planner before you move on to the, uh, <laughs> well, even like the calendar. like,
0: like even a modern printer. Cause he, you, know, he was, that's what he did was print stuff. He'd be going oh, sure. away.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he'd be fascinated by the mechanism too. I'd love to see how much of the mechanisms he could guess just by inspecting the, uh, inspecting a laser printer what would he be able to figure out it's got rollers it's got some familiar parts to him that is
0: interesting that'd be that'd be i mean obviously we can't really do it but that'd be a fun that's a fun scenario to
1: play out yeah sure is. um i've been playing it out for many years
0: (laughs) what's your favorite breakfast since i mentioned the pizza thing earlier
1: um vegemite cheese toasties Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Introduced to me by my friend Richard Saunders from Australia.
0: I was going to say that's... That never be. look back. Well, Brian, this uh, has been a world of fun. Hey, my voice held up pretty well, so I'm excited about all that.
1: It did. In fact, I think you're sounding better now than you were at the beginning.
0: Well, let's not tell people that. Because I'm pretty sure that if I kept talking, for, if I had to do another hour, I'd be in trouble. Okay. but I, t- I told you I had this big pile of stuff on my desk to, to aid me through this so I think it worked
1: well okay good well
0: thanks thanks for everything and talk soon
1: okay it's been fun Let's
0: see, there's it. $3.99 guys quite a ride I, I don't want to get into it tonight because uh, tonight's not the night to get into it 400 next week is just going to be it's a milestone and um to say that it hasn't hit me is going to be a lie so um, I appreciate everybody and all that you do have a good night or a better night the views and opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants for past shows social media links So much more. Visit Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. And thanks for listening.
1: Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I right. think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. Who <laughs> listens to a promo on <laughs> a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, 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 I've never done it.
2: <laughs>